comparison. It's such a bugger, isn't it? It's the thief of joy for sure. But it probably won't surprise long-time listeners that for me, a quote just doesn't cut it. I wanted to know more about what comparison actually is, if it has a purpose, what we can learn from it, and how we can get ourselves out of the ick that it creates. So it's just me today, and we're talking all about how to escape the comparison trap. Welcome to Courage and Spice, the podcast for humans with self-doubt. I'm your host, Sass Peterick. Thanks so much for tuning in. So as I was preparing for this episode, I asked the very wise and lovely folks on Instagram about their experience of comparison, and I had some really insightful and rich responses. Lots of people described the kind of body sensations that comparison elicits, the sense of it coming in waves, gripping hold of me, feeling myself spiraling, falling into the trap. There's a heaviness in the pit of my belly, a constriction in my throat. It's quite evocative language, right? And emotions also came up, particularly anger, envy, and frustration, felt internally, but directed at the person everyone's comparing themselves to. And also a kind of compounded emotion of shame and regret that this is a sort of irrational and unhelpful response, that we don't really like this aspect of ourselves. There were also some deeply insightful stories about what we make it mean when we're comparing ourselves. Things like, I'm just not seen. They are not safe. I have to back away. They are luckier, better, cleverer. I'll never be that good. I have to work so much harder. What about me? It's so unfair. Sound familiar? Everything that people were describing just felt so incredibly familiar and a bit close to the bone for me. But what I found really interesting and quite revealing were the triggers, the things that actually sparked us into this comparison trap. And people described falling into it when they were feeling quite disappointed in themselves. Also, the feelings of being tired, hungry, lonely, or sad were big triggers. Also, when folks are trying something new, so starting a new business, sharing their writing, creativity, or their work, there is the sense that when we're in learning mode, comparing ourselves to others who are more experienced or further along the path is just part of the deal. And I think this is the key aspect of comparison that we kind of understand. We're looking outside of ourselves and judging our situation against other people. But I think it's hard for us to recognize that we're judging against utterly different external criteria, right? We're not comparing apples with oranges. We're comparing apples with seahorses. So what's the bloody point of comparison then? Like what purpose is it serving? Although it's probably quite acutely felt these days because we all have these windows into everyone's lives available in our pockets at any moment, comparison has actually been studied by psychologists for decades and they found it's pretty fundamental to the human condition. So this this chap called Fessinger who developed social comparison theory way back in the 1950s And he found that we all have within us this innate need to get a sense of where we fit and we compare our abilities and opinions to the people around us. 
So we're all social creatures and we've always lived in networks of other people. Fundamental to our sense of self is our need to belong. So we're comparing to understand where we fit. How do I stack up? Who am I in relation to everyone else here? And we start doing this as children, right? Comparison is a way that we get a sense of our own identity in the world of adults and other people. So we do it to kind of learn who we are. And I think if we ever have an experience where we find we can't trust the relationships that are meant to provide our sense of belonging, family and later friends, colleagues, our communities, Comparison can almost be a kind of comforting stress response, um, which sounds oxymoronic, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Like, who among us have felt like they belonged everywhere with everyone, right? All of us have had these experiences that somehow I don't fit here, and that hurts us. It feels quite awful, And I think particularly if we make it mean that any sense of not fitting in is evidence that there's something wrong with us, comparison can be this sort of self-fulfilling prophecy that exacerbates our self-doubt. But it helps us to feel like we're doing something useful. So it's kind of comforting, but it's a bit shadowy. And when we're seeking to connect with others, this is one of the primary triggers of our experience of self-doubt. So the body sensations, thoughts, emotions, memories of the past or projections into the future. This kind of combined phenomenon that is our experience of self-doubt acts as an alarm that tells us we're at risk. So we can use comparison as a really valiant attempt to ameliorate that risk, the idea that somehow we don't belong here. And I think it doesn't take much for this to become a habit. And Fessinger even proposed that we compare ourselves in every interaction immediately, subtly, and often unconsciously, which is quite fascinating, isn't it? That this is a kind of undercurrent to our whole experience of other people, and it pops up when we're experiencing some, some sort of risk. It becomes more acute. Now, the basic tenet of social comparison theory, Festinger's research, is that we'll look down to feel better and we'll look up to feel worse. So we tend to look to people that we perceive as less capable, less experienced or less qualified than us to feel better about ourselves. It's a little boost to our ego um, and it's called downward social comparison. It helps us to affirm and reassure ourselves that that where we fit, we've got a place in this. Someone's below us, right? So we might sort of say to ourselves something like, oh, she has way less followers than me. So compared to her, I'm doing okay. Or he's the junior associate. I've got three years experience on him, so I'm doing all right. And this can feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? It's a little bit icky. But I think that's that downward social comparison is just a way to regulate ourselves. It helps us to actually create that feeling of safety and belonging. It is very normal and very human behavior. But I think it can be helpful to recognize that, like anything, downward social comparison is temporary. Now, in the other direction, when we look up to people that we consider more successful or superior in some way than us, we can easily fall into that despondency, the sort of derailment that upward comparison creates. It can just leave us feeling really flat and prompt us to question ourselves and our own abilities. 
So it might sound something like, I'll never be able to write, knit, paint, take photographs as good as her. I have no idea what I'm doing. I have to work extra hard to keep up with these ambitious and hungry young whippersnappers. Um, But it all leads to these thoughts and feelings and body sensations that folks describe when they're experiencing comparison. Now, at its worst, I think comparison can actually lead us down the path of defeat, right? So that can sound a bit like it's hopeless. It's all been said before. Everyone is following her. There's no one left for me. I may as well give up. And I guess what is very different since the days when social comparison theory emerged from Festinger's research is, of course, the internet, right? And social media is like the ultimate upward comparison trap. And there's been a lot of studies over the last five years, particularly, that suggest that immersing ourselves in these constant, never-ending feeds that are filled with beauty and success and what everyone else is doing may actually damage our self-esteem and put us at risk for depression and anxiety. And I think particularly if we're doing any kind of work online, we measure our success by things like social media reach, our readership, our subscribers, our conversions. We lap up this data and it's like catnip for comparison. We're comparing and contrasting for a living. Are my numbers good? Am I getting this right? Am I doing okay? And we know that self-doubt is exacerbated by loneliness. Right? Isolation really feeds self-doubt. And because if we're self-employed, we're usually working alone from our spare room or the library or cafe, but with no colleagues to calm and reassure and soothe us, comparison can really mess with our heads. And I know that some of us can fill hours just watching other people, measuring our performance against theirs. And underneath it, there is this constant sense of, is there any space left for me? So if we compare ourselves upwards, we feel terrible, even defeated, and any reprieve from downward comparison is temporary. So what's the bloody answer? (laughs) Well, I've been thinking a lot about this and reading some of the original research that helped form how we understand comparison. And I think that first, it's really important to just notice that when we are pretty happy with our lot, when we're feeling good about where we are, our work, what we're creating, what we're doing, we're not really looking at other people. We're not comparing. So we're doing our own thing. And on our best days, when we sort of know where we're going and we're feeling in flow, we don't need that validation or reassurance. Right? It's in our moments of self-doubt, when we feel most uncertain, that's what triggers our comparing. Sometimes just knowing this can be so comforting, right? You aren't doing anything inherently wrong just because you're comparing yourself to others. And equally, it doesn't have to mean anything about you or your capability. It just might mean that you're having a very human response to feeling uncertain about your place in all of this. Now, I have found that there are some really useful things we can do and, and sort of ways that we can be that can help us to escape the comparison trap. So I've, I've been looking at all of these things and I've sum, summarized them for us all here. So see what lands with you. See what you want to take away and try out. So the first thing is to do more than just compare, right? So 
don't just watch people, really observe what they are doing and how they are doing it. So if there's someone in your industry who just seems to be really lucky, try and quantify that. How are they showing up? What is it that they're doing that feels quite exciting to you? And how can you do this your way? And this really plays into an idea that I'm starting to really get and feels quite juicy to me, which is that comparison is the shadow of inspiration. Now, Bandura, who is the sort of granddad of psychology, and he, back in the 70s, conceptualized the idea of self-efficacy, which is really where the roots of self-belief were sort of starting to form in psychological research. Now, he found that when we witness peers succeed through their own effort, it raises our belief that we too have the capacity to succeed. So actually, checking in on other people's success can be really motivating if we allow it. It can be a lift to see other people doing well. It means our work has a market, right? Other people are doing this. And in this way, we can kind of allow our successful peers to act as role models. So ultimately, pay attention to who you are paying attention to. So the second one is from Oprah, and if you want to listen to Oprah's days of self-doubt and comparison, I highly recommend this very short podcast series called Making Oprah. Um, it was really, really interesting, particularly if you're interested in her work. Uh, but she talks about how she learned to stay in her own lane. And she just decided partway through her career that she was going to stop watching her competitors. She focused straight ahead, ran her own race, and because she kind of knew what she was trying to create, that she didn't have any competitors because she was doing something completely new, she had to set her own goals based on what she valued, and she ran at her own pace. So this idea that everyone is running a different race can be so comforting when we find ourselves spiraling down into that trap. So the third thing is to be curious about your motives for comparing, right? Why are you comparing in the first place? Get curious about that. Get interested in that. Is it for inspiration and motivation? Or is it perhaps a distraction from something that you're feeling uncertain about? I found that sometimes if we feel anxious, we can be looking for reassurance in kind of all the wrong places. But just recognizing, actually, right now I need some reassurance. Seek it out from a trusted source. You know, don't outsource it to the internet. Check in on your envy. If comparison is turning into envy, it's usually because of some unmet longing. We'll see something that someone else has that we want, and we believe somewhere in us that we can't have that thing. But what I found is that we never really want the thing. We want to feel how we imagine that other person is feeling because they have that thing. So as a personal example, I found that when I'm overworking and I'm tired, which is a tendency that I have, I'll find myself filled with envy at people who seem to have tons of free time. And they'll be at some pool in a long summer frock looking all chilled out. And I'm giving them the Paddington hard stare and just feeling really crap about my to-do list. I'm envious of how peaceful and free they seem. And I've learned that if I can find simple ways that I can feel free and peaceful in this moment right now, sometimes just by something like an early night, 
I can allow myself to have the thing that I'm envious of. Okay, next up, protect your energy. And I think really this is the most important job we have to do every day, is to decide how we're going to use our energy. Who we let in, who we give our attention to, how much of our space we give over to other people. Like noticing these things and protecting our very precious resource. Unfollow, unsubscribe, do what you need to do to take care of yourself. And also know that when we are taking risks, trying something new or going through some kind of difficult change, this requires more energy than usual. So it can be that when our self-doubt is at its most acute, it's because we feel most vulnerable or uncertain. And comparison will focus our precious energy on what we don't have. So practice self-nurturing. And this can be anything from getting enough sleep to exercising to celebrating your successes, planning fun, relaxing activities, giving yourself something to look forward to. And another really interesting one is to disbelieve the myth, the cultural myth, that we are all in competition with each other. Ash, Mr. P, my husband, has a degree in zoology, which frankly we're both relieved he's something so marketable to fall back on if this whole technology thing falls through. But he once explained to me that Darwin's survival of the fittest is a really common misconception. It's actually about who can adapt And it's all about taking care of the herd, right? Our world is set up to mirror the natural world. And the natural world is not competitive at all. It's about collaboration and balance. So I wonder if you could lean into this idea of collaborating. Like how can you take care of your herd? So whose work do you admire that you can share? How can you lift someone else up rather than comparing yourself to them? Who inspires you? Who do you want to thank? This can actually change our entire brain function, right? To move out of a place of competition and into collaboration. It means we move out of that kind of fight, flight, freeze response that lives in our frontal cortex. And we go into the hippocampus, the place of creativity and dreaming. It's a really fascinating process to allow yourself to experience So rather than looking at how separate you are from this person, move closer. And and I guess this is the thing that is really at the heart of comparison for me, is that I think comparison makes us believe that there is just one pie and we're all sharing it. And if someone else has a bigger piece, there'll be none left for us. But I think we all get our own pie. And the reason I believe this really to my core is that No one can do the things you do in quite the way you do them. No one can write or teach or coach or lawyer or knit or design websites or help develop policy or translate Greek or encourage preschoolers quite like you do. Comparison typically involves contrast and difference. It leads us to feel separate and lonely. And when we think about the reasons why we do this, we're trying to belong. So it's a bit crazy. But it's when we consider our common humanity, right? The things we share, the places online and importantly in real life, where we feel we do belong, where we are connected and understood, 
these are the places to turn to, to disrupt the lie that there is no place for us. I think it can be super helpful to remember that even the most successful folks are struggling in some way. They're just as human and fallible and flawed as we are. And that for all our own foibles and shortcomings, we are just as capable of greatness. So keep going. You've got this. Thanks so much for listening. You can find the show notes and how to review, subscribe and share the podcast at courageandspice.com. I'll see you next time.